Let's read starting in John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is God's word. So the first thing I want to do this morning is take you into the newsroom. Not many people have been in a newsroom. Have you ever been in a newsroom? One person? I think I, yeah, okay. Very, you, maybe you've watched movies about it, TV shows, but very few people have actually ever been in a newsroom. And so let me just describe it for you a little bit. There's a lot of, it's a very industrious place. There's a lot of activity. People are writing their stories. They're writing their daily stories and what they call their weekenders, the, the big features that run in the Sunday paper. Um, and there's a lot of one particular, there's a lot of writing, but, but there's even more than writing. There's one other thing going on before the writing can happen, and there's a lot of information gathering going on in a newsroom. And this consists of a lot of phone calls. In my time, we were just on the phone all the time, taking notes, interviewing people on the phone. But it also involved going out and, um, and interviewing people on the street or in their office or in a conference room. And for that, you would need a couple of tools of the trade. So one of the tools of the trade would be a notebook and a pen, uh, not, not very much, but one thing that I always thought was handy is this little guy right here. Anyone know what this is? Can you see? It's a digital voice recorder. And typically, only maybe students, maybe lawyers and journalists really use these on a regular basis, but this was my friend. And I, I will never forget the day when I was sitting at my desk and I was kind of, I was, I was a young reporter, I was a novice, and I was sitting there talking about the, the finer points of the trade with an older journalist who'd been doing this for like 30 years. And he said to me, yeah, you know, when you leave a meeting, you should basically be able to reconstruct the whole thing on paper when you come back to the office. And I said, I mean, I could, I could kind of do that, but I said, but you write down the quotes, right? And you record the quotes, right? And he said, no, quotes too. So you just sit down and you type it all out, quotes, everything. And I said, mm, that's not my experience. That has not been my experience of this job. Um, and so some people do have that kind of memory, but I never did. And so I relied on the digital voice recorder. Well, Jesus is talking to us about our memory. That's where we start this morning in verse 26. And remember that Remember that he is still talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. That was last week. So I'm sending the, I'm sending the helper, 
the parakletos, and he will, he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. That was last week, and he's still talking about the same thing. He hasn't changed the subject, and now he's going to tell us one specific thing that the Holy Spirit does for us that is so important for our lives as believers. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. How long has it been? Shout it out if you, if you know. How long has he been with these men? Three years. That's an easy number to remember. He's been with them for three years. Three years isn't very long, is it? High school is four years. They haven't even been all the way through high school with Jesus at this point. And he says, I've, I have taught you things. I have begun to, talk, to teach you while I'm still with you. And these are the things that I've told you while we're together. But there is so much more for them to learn, isn't there? There is so much more that they're going to need to know. These are going to be the leaders of the church. They're going to be the men who go and plant churches in Samaria and in Antioch and all of these places where the gospel hasn't, has yet to go. These are the men, and they're going to need to be equipped. They're going to need that equipping, and they have only begun to scratch the surface with Jesus. They're, gonna, they're going to face trials, aren't they? Every single one of these men is going to be persecuted. And eventually, several of them in this room are going to write scripture. And they have to get to the point with Jesus where they're ready, they're ready to do that. And they're not ready now, but they will be. So he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He has only just begun with these men. He has planted the seed of the gospel, and he says the, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to follow up, and he's going to teach you all things. Now, what does that all things mean? What do you think it means when he says he'll teach you all things? Think about that. Does he mean he'll teach you all of the systematic theology that you could ever hope to learn? Is that what he means? A sophisticated theological understanding? Certainly there would be that, the that theological basis when these men began to write scripture years later. But that's not what he's talking about. He says he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, one thing, that's, one thing that's interesting to know is just how long it would be before these guys began to write down their Gospels. The, the Gospel of Mark, the Scripture historians, scholars who specialize in, in dating these things, they think that Mark was written about 40 years after this, and Mark was the earliest of the ones to be written down. Matthew and Luke, they think, were written about 50 years after this. Think about how long that is. That's a really long time. 50 years ago was 1973. What were you doing in 1973? I was doing nothing in 1973, <laughs> personally. Yeah, I was, yeah, so 1970, that's a long time. The Gospel of John is the latest. They think it's the latest of all of the Gospels to be written. And it came along 65 years, 65 years after this evening after this conversation, and that's a long time. And during that span of time, 
these guys, what were they doing? Were they just reflecting and reading? And what were they, what were they doing? They were up to something. They were building the church. They were spreading the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. They were going to new cities where no one had ever heard about Jesus or they just heard rumors and they were telling them, your sins can be forgiven. God is a forgiving God. He's poured out his grace in this person, Jesus Christ, who was also God, who died on the cross, but he's still alive. And this was the message they took and they were going to work this message out in their preaching, in their church planting for 40 years, for 50 years, for 65 years, they were going to do all of those things and then it would be time to write it down. Isn't that fascinating? How much time would pass while they were doing this thing? And that entire time, Jesus says, you will have the Holy Spirit with you teaching you all things and helping you to remember what I said, all these things that I've taught you. Because have, have any of you, I'm, I'm sure we've all, if you've lived long enough, you've been through a really stressful period of time. You've been through a very stressful situations. And how much do you remember of the, of, of the small things and the conversations that are happening around whatever that stressful event is. You may remember, you may have snippets, you may have glimpses, little words and phrases that people say to you that are either encouraging or maybe they're discouraging in the moment. But I guarantee you that you can't remember a whole conversation, let alone four chapters of text. So it's a miracle. It's a miracle that these men could remember everything that Jesus said. I mean, just go back and look at the parables. And look at the Sermon on the Mount and think about how impoverished we would be if those men hadn't been able to remember it. It's amazing. It's a, Jesus is specifically telling them that he's going to equip them to write these four books that are so precious to us. He's going to do that by giving them the Holy Spirit, and that will be part of the Holy Spirit's job for them. Now, a large, a large part of what, was, what this meant is that there was, going to be, there was going to be a lot of reinterpretation for these guys. They knew their Old Testament. Everyone, everyone in, in this time, every Jewish man would have had some level of understanding of the Torah and the prophets and the writings, what they call the writings, the history of Israel. They knew, they knew their scriptures but something was about to happen the very next day after Jesus said this, said this, something was about to happen this weekend that would change everything they thought they knew about the Old Testament, about God, about themselves, and most of all about Jesus. They thought they knew him, but until they saw him on the cross, they really didn't know him yet. So the cross hadn't happened. And one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit's gonna come along because I can, only, I can only give you hints. I can only prepare you for what you're going to see on the cross. But the Holy Spirit is gonna come afterwards and he's gonna teach you exactly what it means. You're gonna see me hanging on the cross and bleeding. You're gonna see me dead. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you what that means. He's gonna work it out in your heart. 
So you're going to know exactly, you're going to be able to remember what I said. But even more importantly than that, you're going to understand it in a way that you can't even begin to understand it tonight because you haven't seen me on the cross yet. Does that make sense? He's saying that the Holy Spirit is actually, uh, I'm, I am acting out the gospel and the Holy Spirit's going to come after me and teach you about the gospel. And this is a, this is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And what it meant for them, one of the things that it meant is that this is why, this is why I brought this today. They had one of these in their head. I do believe that. When he says, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, I do believe that they were inspired to remember verbatim exactly, not just what Jesus said, but how he said these things. And picture John, how 65 years later, how old, he must have been in it. He was in his 80s, right? He was in his 80s, sitting who knows where in some room with a lamp and a parchment, and he just writes out this entire farewell discourse from memory. That's a miracle. Jesus says, I'm going to do that for you. And he did that for them so that we would have this scripture. Isn't that beautiful? I'm so glad he did that. Not only that, though, because that's what it meant for them. They were going to need, they were going to need this help constantly throughout their ministry. They needed it. They were desperate for it. Without it, without it they would have been lost. They would have been so ineffective in trying to proclaim the gospel and plant churches. But with this, they had everything they needed. But it means something, what it means to us corresponds to what it meant for them because they had the digital voice recorder of everything Jesus said. It was right there and then they wrote it down. Here's the thing though. We have their record. We have their testimony. We have it written down in front of us. So Jesus doesn't do it the same way for us. He doesn't, we don't have a digital voice recorder in our heads. Anyone have the four gospels memorized? Raise your hand if you do. You do not. That's not the point. That's not the point for us. We have it written down, but for us, it's still the same spiritual experience when the Holy Spirit takes what's here and makes it real to our hearts because he's still doing that for us, just like he did for them. So I mentioned before how reliant I was as a journalist, and I still am sometimes when I sit down and want to remember a conversation, I still record it on my phone, with my recorder. I still do that. There was one time when I went to an interview, and I, I interviewed somebody for about half an hour. That's about an average interview for me. And I interviewed them for half an hour. I asked them, I always ask beforehand, do you mind if I record? It's just from my so I don't miss anything. See, that's fine. And I recorded the whole thing, or so I thought. And then I got back to the office, and I realized technology does not always work the way that you, you have to double check because I didn't get that whole conversation. So here's the thing. I panicked. I panicked for about half an hour, and I came back to the office, and I sat down, and I said, you know what? Why don't I reconstruct what I can? And you know what I found? It's really interesting. I, you know what I found in that moment? I found that I, I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity to remember their exact words. I couldn't, I couldn't write down very many verbatim quotes. There were two or three. They were really vivid and short, and I wrote those down. 
But you know what I did have? Because I'd spent half an hour with this person, you know what I did have? I had an impression of that person and that was enough. And I wrote my story. I would have liked for there to have been more quotes, but I wrote the story. I was able to paraphrase some of what they said. Here's the point. You don't need a mind like a digital voice recorder, okay? But you do need an impression of the person. You do need an impression of Jesus. You need that. You need who he is to be real and vivid to you. And this has to do, by the way, with scripture memorization. And I will confess to you right now, I have never been good at memorizing scripture. My, it's like, you know, it's, those of you who are familiar with computers, it's like God gave me like 32 megabytes of memory for scripture. Some of you have a whole hard drive for memorizing scripture, and that's great. And by the way, if you've spent a lot of time memorizing scripture, bless you. Awesome. That's great. I'm glad, I'm glad because that will serve you well. But I'm here to tell you that even if you don't, if you can't memorize very well, like me, it's not memorizing verses, but rehearsing the gospel that immerses us in God's stabilizing love. Okay? It's the person, it's the impression of Jesus. So you, by the way, I'm not saying that you don't need scripture. I mean, I hope you wouldn't walk away from this and take, and take that away. I'm saying you need more of it, but you need it differently. You need to meditate on it. You need to chew on it. You need to digest it. It needs to be real to you that way and not just, not just words that you store up here but never become real to your heart, okay? That's what I'm saying about scripture memorization. It's great. If you can do it, please do it. If you can't do it, just read more and let him be real to your heart. That's all. So in closing this section about, about memory, I want to emphasize the fact that what Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to come along and he's going to take the gospel and drive it even more deeply into your hearts. I've planted the seed, he says. I've begun this thing and the Holy Spirit is going to carry it out. He's going to complete it. He's going to teach you all things. And I don't want you to go away thinking that the all things that the Holy Spirit teaches us is just more information. More sophisticated theology. What he's doing is he's teaching you about the reality of Jesus, what he's done for you, your salvation, your righteousness, the forgiveness, and how much that costs. And he's making that real to your hearts. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit kindles the gospel in our hearts until it becomes all things to us. That's what this means. It's like, it reminds me, it reminds me of the, the parable of the mustard seed. Do you remember that in Matthew 13? It's, it's in Matthew 13, 31 and 32. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, but then you plant it. The kingdom of heaven is like a, that seed that you plant. And then it becomes a tree and it fills the earth and the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus is saying the gospel is like that little seed that I've planted in your hearts. The Holy Spirit's going to come and water the tree until it's all things to you, until it's so all-encompassing, until it's so meaningful and so real in your hearts. 
that everything else you know will be like the birds that come and nest in its branches. All of your ideas, all of your philosophies, all of your cares, all of your opinions will find a home in the gospel. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I find that to be extremely encouraging as someone with a, just a real limited memory. God made my mind to do different things. But I will tell you that the impression that I carry with, with me of Jesus, it's not based specifically on any particular order of verbs and nouns. It's based on a growing number of years of walking with him. And that's the idea. So now Jesus is going to talk to, to us about our peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now he's talking to us about peace. And this brings up, I think, something that we can all relate to, which is, which is the circumstances, the change. I hate change. Anybody else? I think we all kind of, there's a certain kind of change that we all just don't want to deal with, right? And that's what these men were going through. He says, you've heard me say, I'm going away and I will come to, I will come to you. And this is the thing that's troubling their hearts. And so he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He says, my peace I give to you. And what is that peace? Think about that for a moment. What is the peace that Jesus had? Because he says that's the peace that we have because he's given it to us. So what is the peace that Jesus had? What is that? Think about this. He knew what was about to happen, didn't he? He knew. He kept telling people, I'm about to be crucified. He knew what was about to happen. But is Jesus bothered by his circumstances? No, he's not. There's a couple places where he says his heart is troubled. But then he's able to stand and comfort other people when he was the one who was about to be crushed. Jesus himself is not troubled by his circumstances. Why? Because his father was with him. Because of the relationship that he had with God. It grounded him. It kept him calm. It kept him hopeful. There was a joy that was set before him, Paul writes. And this, this peace that he enjoyed, the peace that we need, is specifically peace with God. And this brings up something that, that a lot of people don't like to confront. We don't like to talk about in church. It's not very popular anymore, but it's, it's, it's the reality of God's wrath. It's the reality of judgment. And there are, there are no difficult circumstances. There is no suffering in this world, in this life. There is no trouble. There is no trial. There's no failure or fear that compares with standing before the Lord under his judgment. It's a nightmare beyond comprehension. And when Jesus says, my peace, I give to you, what he's doing, what he's saying is that in tomorrow afternoon, and certainly by Sunday morning, you're going to see something that helps you understand what your real danger was all along. And it's going to change your perspective enough that you will realize 
none of these things that we were worried about actually matter. So let's unpack that a little bit more. You know, I was trying to think of a way to get at this idea, and I thought it would be a little bit like, like, well, when Dory and I go camping, um, we hardly ever manage to make it to our campground in the daytime. So we're always setting up our tent at night. But I imagine if, um, imagine if you pitched your tent and you were out in the wilderness in the backcountry and you pitched your tent and you were, and you were sort, of, sort of flat. You're always looking for a flat place for your tent. You put your tent there and there's a little drop off there. And there's some trees and some boulders. You can hear water somewhere in the distance and you put your tent right there. And it's dark and you don't know what's there. And in the morning you wake up and you realize that that little drop off was actually a 3,000 foot cliff. <laughs> and you might have walked out of your tent in the middle of the night and just fallen right off of the cliff, right? That, imagine what that would be like. That would be, you would be extremely grateful for the daylight, right? You would be extremely, you'd probably move your tent. Um, but the point is that that's the kind of, that's the kind of ignorance that's the kind of ignorance that's, that comes naturally to us. We think uh, we're relatively safe and, and this life, is, this life is, is safe enough that what we have to worry about are things like finances and health and security, relationships. And those things are valid concerns, but they do not compare to the real, the real peril that exists in this world, that the, the Bible, Jesus himself is always trying to talk to us about. Nobody, by the way, nobody talked about God's judgment and the reality of hell more than Jesus. He was always warning us about this. Yeah, I have another, there's another analogy that may capture it better. Not an analogy, it's something I experienced this last March. Um, that's that Sunday when I wasn't here because I was in Mexico for a friend's birthday party, one of the things we did is we went snorkeling. And have you ever been snorkeling before? It's, it's spectacular. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite things. You're in the water all the, with all the fish. You almost feel like a fish at, at certain times. But where we went, where we went snorkeling, it was right, right on the, the bay of Cabo, San Lucas. And what I didn't realize until I got in the water was that the, that arch, you guys know the famous arch that comes down, it's the very tip of the, of the Baja Peninsula. It drops off underwater on either side of there. So there's a shelf that comes out about 200 feet from the beach and then it just drops. And that's how the cruise ships can get in. Okay, does that make sense? Nobody told me. You jump off the boat, you're like, okay, it's 12 feet deep. Not bad. The light's coming through. It's plenty of fish. I found a camera on the bottom of the... I was just sand right there. So anyways, so we're here, and our guide goes that way. So we go follow him over that way. And all of a sudden, that shelf disappeared. And I swam out. I just floated out this way a little ways. And where the light was hitting the sand here, the light was just disappearing here. And it was... It was nice and shady, but bright enough to see everything over here. And it was pitch black over here. And then, you know, you, you, you get off the boat into that, and you get back on the boat, and for a little while, you're looking over the edge of the boat like, I know it's down there. 
I know it's down there now. And then by the time you get back to the harbor, you're having a good time and you totally forget. That's what we're like, isn't it? We totally forget that we're floating over an abyss. And we act like if only, if only we can make our boat a little prettier, if only we can just get along with the other people on our boat, everything's going to be fine, but everything's not fine. Because we are, as sinners, as sinners apart from Christ, that is our destiny, that abyss. That's what the Bible says. So, so the point here is that Jesus is talking to men who are facing some real turmoil, real change. Nobody in the history of the world, with the exception perhaps of Noah, nobody ever lived through the kind of change that these men lived through. They lived through the end of an age and the beginning of a new one. They lived through the cross. They lived through unimaginable kind of turmoil. And Jesus is saying to them, let not your hearts be troubled. That's an incredible thing to say. And he's not just saying, just be happy. Just be happy. That's a cruel and ridiculous thing to say to people who are going through real pain. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's going to be okay. And there's a reason why it's going to be okay. And he says, my peace, I give to you. Jesus, Jesus is the only person in the history of the world up until this point, well, and since, who has enjoyed a perfect, unbroken, sinless relationship with God. That is the peace that he says, I give to you. That peace and there's a couple of verses later on that Paul, Paul gets into this. Peace is one of the great themes of the Apostle Paul. In Romans 5, verse 8 and verse 10, he writes that God shows his love for us and that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, he says, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He says we were enemies. We were enemies of God. Does anyone really have any idea what it means to be an enemy of God? Is anyone living with that burden? When you realize it, you start looking for a solution and that's how you get saved. Everyone else is acting like everything's going to be fine. So Jesus is saying, when you see me hanging on the cross, when you see me bleeding for your sins, you are going to realize exactly how wrong you were with God and how much you needed this salvation. And when that happens, you'll have peace. No circumstance will ever bother you ever again. Not the way it's bothering you right now. So Jesus gives us his peace by dying on the cross to make peace between us and God, to reconcile us to God. And he gives us his peace by giving us his spirit who, he says, will never let us forget our salvation. We are not, we are not exposed to the worst of it. The worst fate of all 
was the one that Jesus saves us from. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that if you're going to be able to endure suffering. Because in this life, things can get really bad. And if you are going to endure when that comes, you have to believe that the worst thing that could have happened has already been taken care of. Jesus intends for us to be so alive to what he's done for us that it eclipses all of the cares of this life. That's the idea here. And the peace that Jesus gives to us, it's our forgiveness. That's his peace. So quickly, to finish this up, now Jesus talks to us a little bit about our faith. And this is, this is the theme of the book of John. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And John picks up this theme, that you may believe. And he says later on, I believe it's in chapter 20, he says, I've written all of these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. That's John's theme, and it's what Jesus is saying right here. The whole point of this whole talk is so that when things happen, you'll believe. Jesus told them beforehand so that they would know that hard times are part of the plan. And, so, and he tells us beforehand too, so that when hard times come, you already have what you need in Christ. Now, Jesus not only knows about our troubles, right? He uses them in ways that are not always obvious to us in the moment. And that's what's happening with the disciples here. That's what's happening. They can't see what's going on. How could they? How could they know? This was a plot twist of cosmic proportions. How could they know what was happening? They didn't know. But Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled. Have peace. It's going to be okay. He's saying, keep, keep watching, wait, keep watching. Don't tune out. So, so what happens here at the end of this, this chapter, chapter 14? The Holy Spirit reminds us of the gospel which is our peace, as we've seen, so that when suffering comes, we will remember that the worst is over. I can remember as a kid, literally the worst thing in my life was going to the dentist. That's funny, but it was, I'm telling the truth, it was the worst thing in my life, going to the dentist. And I remember, I don't remember... Which procedure? I had a sweet tooth. I still do. So me and the dentist, we were. Um, but uh, I don't remember which dentist it was. I don't remember which procedure it was. I was out for my wisdom teeth, so it wouldn't have been that one. But there was this one kind man who one time, he, he could see how, he could see how tense I was and ah, I'm hating this. And, and you know what he said to me? He, he gave me that little shoulder pat. He said, the worst part's over. Worst part's over. How often do we need to hear that? Oh, doesn't that help? Doesn't that help? Isn't that a relief? That's what we need. We need to know that the worst is over. Jesus took care of it. 
on the cross. That's where strength comes from as a Christian. It comes from that relief of knowing how, how much worse it could have been, infinitely worse, unimaginably worse. But that's what Jesus went through so that you and I can have peace. And this is the takeaway here. This is the Holy Spirit's work to remind us of this because our memories don't work too well. Or to put it in very positive terms, our forgetters work really well. That's what Stan would say. The Holy Spirit's job is to constantly remind us of these things that strengthen us and prepare us. But Jesus has given us other forms of remembering. And one of them is right here on the table before us this morning. As often as you do this, think of me. Remember me. So we're going to take communion and we're going to remember what he did. We're going to do that together. And it's a rehearsal of the gospel, which is exactly what Jesus says we need. So let's pray and let's share the Lord's Supper together.